Welcome to the Readings Podcast, a production from Melbourne's leading independent bookstore, Readings Books and Music. In today's episode, I am joined by Angela O'Keefe, author of a new novel, The Sitter, published this month by University of Queensland Press. This is O'Keefe's second novel, following 2021's Night Blue, and where that text examines the American artists Lee Krasner and Jackson Pollock and their relationship to the present via the famed painting Blue Poles, quite literally, as the painting itself is a sort of narrator, this new book instead situates the reader in a hotel room in Paris at the outbreak of the coronavirus pandemic with our two protagonists. But there is much more to it than this. As the blurb illustrates, one character, a writer, is confined to this room struggling to finish a novel about Hortense Cézanne, wife and sometime muse of the famous painter of the same name. However, dead for more than a century, Hortense has been reawakened by this creative endeavour and now shadows the writer through the lockdown city. And curiously, Hortense, always subject to the gaze of the other, is increasingly intrigued by the woman before her. Who is she and what event hides in her past? There is a patience and a quietness to this text, to O'Keefe's writing, and I thoroughly enjoyed reading this book. Its seeming brevity belies just how the inner lives of the two women are captured in precise, evocative detail, seemingly in and out of time, in and out of sequence, but in a manner ever so gracefully. So thank you for joining us on the Readings Podcast, Angela. Thanks so much. It's lovely to be here. How are you doing today and where are you speaking from? I'm speaking from Gadigal Land yeah, in Sydney and I'm feeling great, thanks. It's sunny and a little bit warmer today. Nice one. Glad to hear. It's very, very chilly down where I am, but glad to hear that it's nice up there. I guess to get us starting on the discussion of this book, given your first novel draws on Blue Poles, Lee Krasner, Jackson Pollock, can I ask where, for you, the fascination with Hortense Cézanne came from? So why this person and why this story? Yes, I was actually still writing Night Blue at the time and I was in Paris in 2017 and happened to see an exhibition of Cézanne's portraits, or some of the portraits anyway, and, of course, some of them were of Hortense. And there was a little, on one of the museum tiles at the side of one of the paintings was this quote from Cézanne, this uh, this sort of flippant remark that he once made about his wife saying, my wife only cares for Switzerland and lemonade. And she was apparently seen as very sort of shallow by him and by his friends. She was from a different social class So as I went around that exhibition, I kind of found a little bit more about her. They had an unhappy marriage. She was uh, an alcoholic when she died. So that was about all I knew. But the thing, uh, you know, thinking about it now, the thing that really got me was that she was unhappy. (laughs) You know, had she been, had it been a happy marriage, I probably wouldn't have been drawn in and interested. So it's interesting, isn't it? Tolstoy was right <laughs> about unhappy unhappiness being complex and, you know, infinitely interesting because, of course, as this book 
kind of explores. She's not completely unhappy, you know. She sees beauty in the world and she's able to tell us about it, even if she wasn't able to do that in her own life. Well, at least that's how, how it seems in the book anyway. That unhappiness is palpable, but it's it's not just simply unhappiness as like a, a way of being and that's flatly it. It's an unhappiness that's related to a way of seeing and being in the world that is instructive of actually someone who has a really full and vivid inner life. And I think the way you capture that, her having to deal with this this strange man in Cezanne and how she kind of comes to terms with who he is and has her own inner life that is not defined by that, but kind of in opposition to it. There are these vignettes or instances that you draw upon and illustrate in the book that are both deeply saddening, but there's also something funny about them at the same time in a really, really quiet way. And it shows her personality coming out in a way of being that is, it's just not really prevalent in, as you were saying, in that exhibition with how people are presented with these people who are told in the story of how we're told about art and artists. Well, yeah, a museum tile can't tell you that much, but the paintings can. And, mm. and the paintings struck me as well because people said at the time that she was um, sour and withdrawn and gave nothing. And I found that in my research really interesting. But also just seeing the paintings, I felt like there was so much possibility. I mean, he's a brilliant artist. I think he was difficult to live with and I don't think he understood her. You know, there's not that much known about the relationship. So I imagined how she, you know, obviously I imagined how she might feel. He was probably moody and difficult to live with. At the least, yes. That, yes. that comes through very strongly. <laughs> and then considering Hortense and who she is and how she comes through in the story, the other major character, the writer, I'd like to know where she came from. You know, she doesn't get a painting, she doesn't get the name of the book per se, but her story and her origin is realised very, very vividly and becomes, in the later part of the book, the, the core part of the story. Yeah, well, that's a big question, isn't it? I, yeah. I really don't, can't answer it in full because I don't know. You know, that's the short answer. But, of course, that part of the book is set in a place that I know from my own childhood in a world I know, the events, you know, didn't happen in my family, but certainly recognisable as a place and a world and a time that I wanted to enter. And in a sense, well, she enters that world through the third person. She's writing about her own past in the third person and in a way that helped me write about that world you know, because it's kind of close to you when you're writing. I hadn't written about, said anything in, in the place that I'm from before. So I just found that interesting to play with that. And also the brothers, you know, she can't, it's, or she's had a traumatic event in her past. So there's that. So her memory of it is a little, you know, there's parts that aren't so clear. And I wanted to write about a family that was a big family like mine, 
But, you know, in a short book, how do you have those all those characters be alive and re- realised? So I just thought, I don't know how to do it. So I just started talking about these countless brothers. And I thought, oh, that actually kind of works <laughs> on a number of levels. So I know I might be straying from your question, but it was just a matter of playing around with how I could create this character that was sort of from my past but not and how she could live in this book with Hortense Sazon, you know, how their stories could become one in a sense. I think that's the thing that struck me the most about this book, I guess like a a literary trick, is that if you were to explain to someone that you have these two characters, Hortense and the writer, and you were to lay out all of who they are, I don't think people would necessarily make an immediate assumption that these two are going to be inextricably linked in some way in this book. I guess there's the, the way that the time moves in the book is really peculiar, and configuring a story like this seems really counterintuitive, but I was so impressed with how you tied it all together. I don't want to give anything away for the listeners, but there's this, this moment, this key moment in the book, something particularly intense and shocking happens and the writer witnesses it from her hotel room. The thing about this incident is it's very specific. Almost, I think the the writer notes how it, it would be kind of funny or comical if it wasn't so shocking. Can I ask where this incident came from without giving away too much to the reader? So the scene, the opening scene of the novel with the writer and Hortense standing at the hotel, the window of the hotel, looking down into the street in Paris, came, you know, fairly early. So they see these people, these two women and a child walking. And that was there. I was staying at Veruna, this is some years ago now, and it was, you know, fairly early on in the writing of the book. And at Veruna we do, or we, I say we because I've been there quite a few times, but the writers get together and have readings of just a page of their work, and I read this page, and Eve Rees was there, and they just made this little comment about the two women and the child and said, maybe something happens there. And that was my first sort of inkling, oh, Maybe something happens there. So, you know, sometimes it can come very specifically from another person who happens to have read a little bit of your work. And, I mean, I'm not a big one for showing my work before it's it's finished, but that was incredibly helpful. Mind you, I didn't realise what that, that there really was something for weeks later. And it had to do then with how the work had progressed and what was needed really, Nico, it always came back to what the story as a whole needed, you Mm -hmm. know. I felt like I was sort of crafting this. To me it felt a beautiful, fragile thing and that that scene was just so pivotal for me and, and I do thank Eve for that comment. Eve, if you're out there. Thank you as well. And speaking of that moment and the way that time moves, can I ask in terms of your process how you would go about 
arranging and configuring the story in the way that you have to where time moves in a very peculiar way. If you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, well, I got the ending. You know, once I had an idea of where it was going, then it was easier to and and incredibly pleasurable to kind of try and fit it together. There's objects, you know, there, there's a dress, there's a chair, there's boxes that appear in both the stories. And it was really interesting to me to kind of realise how they might overlap and how they might sort of speak to one another in the two stories, across the two stories, and then kind of become one in some sense. I didn't ever sit down and go, how is this going to make sense to a reader and how will I arrange this so it's in the most pleasurable way or the most the way that's going to make sense. It was more, you know, the reader's with me all the time as a part of me and I'm really talking to the, that reader all the time. Does this work? <laughs> what? How does this feel? You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Mm. Perhaps in less deft hands it would be... Uh a fraught path to engage with a story that has this kind of approach, but I think it's it's handled so so well that it really comes together really effectively. thing I'm most interested in is that the reader is there mm. for the story. Like the story's there for the reader. I don't want to sort of be, you know, obscure or, or be, um, you know, I, I want to be clear even though it meanders everywhere, it has to be clear. Well, I think that that clarity is there in the narrative, but also in like the style and the sentences and the actual body of the text. And um, I found when I was reading this book, I was reminded of one of my favourite books, which is by Elizabeth Strout called My Name is Lucy Barton. Oh, I adore that book. Yes, as everyone should. Um and I think that's another novel that there are some similarities in terms of having time, you know, flashing back and forward, having a woman recall times from her childhood and youth, and then relating that into the, the present. But I think the thing that was the most similar to me was the clarity and using language that was never over the top, never flashy, never drifting into passages of text that are really ostentatious but just being really delicate and precise with short sentences, illustrating things very clearly, but in a way where it really speaks and you can really just take it in. It almost feels effortless. So appreciated. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. I don't say it lightly. And this isn't meant to be in any way a, a funny comment, but your style is kind of timeless in a way where I feel like if I were to read this book 50 years ago or 50 years in the future the resonance would still be really potent. So I really appreciated that about it. That's beautiful. I have just a couple more questions for you. Given that you've tackled Jackson Pollock, Lee Krasner, the Cezannes now, do you think there are other figures from history who you feel inclined to evoke in your writing going forward? You know, no, no one has come up. The next book is, it does have a scene in a gallery, but no. I think those two books somehow went together and I, I saw Autons for the first time while I was writing Night Blue and somehow they just sort of were 
two pieces that ran into one another in a sense. I mean, they're separate works. But the next one I'm very excited about and it's still early days. Can I ask what kinds of things you might be exploring or interested in exploring in that, that book to come? I can't even put it into words, but <laughs> it's it's still going to be, you know, it, it's not going to be from the point of view of a painting or or someone that who was painted, but there's definitely going to be the similar ideas probably about what's hidden and what, what is the inner life of... Articulate it. I have to write it. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. I appreciate you giving it a crack. And maybe a question to close off my contribution. Can I ask what you're reading at the moment? I'm reading August Flues by Deborah Levy. Adore her work. I'm enjoying it, and I like. I mean, she's not afraid to write a short book. It's. Uh, I mean, this one's about music, and it's it's a piece of music. You know, it's just beautiful. To those listening and tuning in, as I said, I strongly recommend The Sitter by Angela O'Keefe, one of my favourite books I've read this year, and I'm really keen to see what you come up with next, Angela. Thank you, Nico. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you. The Sitter is available from all reading stores and from our website, where you can stream previous episodes of The Readings Podcast. You'll also find all kinds of other recommendations, great books, music, film, and TV. You can also sign up to e-news or to receive our free monthly newsletter, The Readings Monthly. The Readings Podcast is produced by me, Nico Callion. The show's music is by Tom Hoskins. All episodes of this show are recorded and produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land and pay my earnest respects to elders past, present and emerging. Thank you.